Hello everyone. My home state of Wisconsin is hurting big time for a multitude of reasons. So I want to send along peace and love to all Invisible Choir listeners this week. Regardless of your background, your ethnicity, your religion, whatever, I want you all to know that I sincerely appreciate you and believe that we all deserve an equitable chance at this precious and invaluable thing we call life. Like many of you, I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm confused, and I'm hurt. But I'm also hopeful. If this past year has taught us anything, it's that when we come together, we can overcome just about anything. Instead of a regular episode this week, I've pulled together two premium minisodes from our Patreon archives. These are the type of weekly Felony Friday mini-episodes available to our patrons at the $5 level each and every week. So remember to take care of yourselves and each other. Now, on with the show. Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. You have to make a choice, you or him, and I chose my son over him, so there's nothing more dangerous than a mother with her baby. Welcome to a special midweek quarantine edition of Felony Friday on Invisible Choir Premium. I'm your host, Michael Ojibwe. Well, here we are. It's April 1st, and the podcast has been running strong for nearly nine months. And if you can believe it, we're projected to hit 1 million total downloads this month. So as a sincere thank you to all of you, I'll be doing special giveaway drawings each week on Patreon from the Invisible Choir store. So keep an eye on the feed and your messages to see if you're one of our winners. Thank you so much to all of you for your continued support. I sincerely mean it when I say the show wouldn't be anything without you. Now, on with the special extra weekly mini-episode. This time, we're taking you to rural Oklahoma to change things up with a case that definitely proves there really is nothing more dangerous than a loving mother with a newborn child. Eighteen-year-old Sarah McKinley of Blanchard, Oklahoma, was just getting used to the idea of life without her beloved husband, Kenneth, by her side. The two had just welcomed into the world their son, Justin, who was now only three months old. But on Christmas Day of 2011, Kenneth McKinley would finally succumb to his battle with terminal lung cancer, leaving behind his young wife alone with their son. His funeral fell just two days before New Year's Eve, and the family of simple means had to scramble to pay for his funeral. At one point, Sarah finally had to sell off most of Kenneth's prized firearm collection to cover the expenses. All but two, a small revolver pistol and a 12-gauge shotgun. In rural Oklahoma, you never know when you might need to defend your home or your family. While still deeply grieving on the very evening of her husband's funeral, Sarah McKinley welcomed into her home friends and family for support. But as the evening hours closed in, she heard a loud knocking at the front door. So she slowly opened to see who was outside. But it wasn't another caring friend or family member coming to console the new mother. It was a mysterious man in his mid-twenties. He appeared slightly disheveled and was acting strangely, as if under the influence of drugs or alcohol. 
claimed that he was friends with the owner of the property her mobile home was sitting on and that he routinely did work in the area. He explained to her that he wanted to come inside to offer his condolences on the loss of her husband. But she didn't recognize the man, and the moment he peered in through the doorway and saw that she had company, he backed away and wandered off into the darkness. Though the interaction was strange, Sarah McKinley could never have imagined that she would come face to face again with this mysterious man just two days later on New Year's Eve. On December 31st, just after 1.50 p.m. in broad daylight, Sarah McKinley heard that same aggressive knocking again. Only this time, she was alone with her infant son. As she prepared to answer the door, she realized the loud banging wasn't someone knocking at all. It was the sound of someone trying to force their way inside of her home. She quietly backed out of her kitchen and away from the door and laid her son on the bed in the back bedroom. She then placed a bottle in his mouth to help keep him quiet and then quietly retreated to grab her phone and called 911. 911. There's a guy at my door. I'm here by myself with my infant baby. Can I please get a dispatcher out here immediately? Okay, hold on. Just hang with me a second. Are your doors locked? Yes, I've got two guns in my hand. Is it okay to shoot him if he comes in the store? Well, you have to do whatever you can do to protect yourself. I can't tell you that you can do that, but you do what you have to do to protect your baby. Grady County Dispatcher Diane Graham is first to take the call, and almost immediately, Sarah McKinley confronts her with an impossible question. Is it okay to shoot if he comes inside? Graham advises her to do whatever she must to protect her baby. The man continues pounding aggressively outside of her home, moving from the front door to the back door and trying various windows along the way. Uh, is he trying to get in the door? He just keeps knocking. Okay. All right. Do you have like a... Um, alarm on your car that you could set off with your remote control that might scare him and get him away? No, I don't. All right, babe. I think you are in the Blanchard Police Department's... Yes, I am. Okay, I'm going to transfer you over to Blanchard Police Department. They will get to you quicker anyway, okay? So hang with me. Do not hang up, okay? Okay. The dispatcher initiates a call transfer to the Blanchard Police Department line but no one is immediately available in the town of just over 7,600's police department. Can you, can you give me a description while we're waiting? Can you give me a description of the, uh, of the man? I mean, could you see him? I just looked through the door, the cold door. He's been here now twice. Okay. He's got one chair. He's got what? He's got one chair. Orange hair. Okay, hang on just a second. Sarah McKinley's call is transferred, and for a bone-chilling 14 minutes, she waits for police to respond, all the while tightly gripping her late husband's 12-gauge shotgun in one hand and his revolver in the other as the man continues trying to break in. She quietly moves the living room couch in front of the kitchen door to create a temporary barricade, but just two minutes before Blanchard Police Chief Walt Thompson arrives at her home, the man finally breaks through her front door. Having only a split second to respond, Sarah McKinley notices a sharp object in the man's gloved hand, and realizing it was either her and her baby or him, she fired. We just called you out on. Shots fired. It's a call. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Ma'am. Shots fired. Blanchard police are announcing. Do you have people on the scene? They are en route. They're en route. Well, we have a deputy en route also. Yes. 
how do you, ma'am? A, it's a shooting. Uh, you better tell him there's been shots fired at that uh, residence, Blanchard Police. Breaking into the home. Okay. Ma'am, yes. how, how did you discover that there had been shots fired? I was on the line with the, the young lady. Do you I think she was the one who did it? Yes. Okay. All right. She has. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. Bye. Just nine minutes after Sarah McKinley fired at the intruder breaking into her home, another 911 call came in to Grady County Dispatch. It was from 29-year-old Dustin Stewart, who had been standing just behind his friend Justin outside of the McKinley home when the shot rang out. Sheriff's office, this is Diane. Have you had reports of somebody firing shots, getting shot, breaking and entering or anything? Uh, yes. Who is this? My name is Dusty Stewart, and I think it was my friend that got shot. I don't know. Okay, where are you at? I'm, I was with him, and I'm driving back to his house right now. He was going up to this house to look at it or something. And Can you give me a description of him? Of Justin, my friend? Yes. Yes, ma'am. He's wearing an orange shirt with uh, blue jeans and a belt buckle and a cowboy hat. I'm, I'm scared to death that he got... Okay. I stepped okay. up there and, and yelled and tried to get him to come back because I wanted to leave and I was I was scared. Okay. I, I tell you what you need to do. How close are you to the Blanchard Police Department? Um, uh, ma'am, honestly, um, he lives out here on the golf course, uh, on Indian Ridge Golf Course. Yes. And we were just out driving through his pasture. And ma'am, I honestly don't even know the way back to his house. If I can find my way back to his house, I will I will do whatever I need to do. But I'm scared to death right now, Okay, ma'am. all right, hang on with me. Do you know the address, any kind of address out there, what road you might be on? Ma'am, it's a pasture. There, there is, there are no, there are no roads. I'm okay. so scared that okay. I called my dad and told him, and he's supposed to meet me back at Justin's house because I called and told him. And, and okay. told him I was going Do to you know Justin's address? No, ma'am, I don't. It's just the Indian Ridge Golf Course where we bought Indian Ridge Golf Course. Okay. But, but the house that he was looking at, I don't, ma'am, I don't know what he was okay. trying to do. Okay. I stood at the fence and was telling him to come on, and and I don't know what he did. Okay. Well, what I would suggest for you, are you in the Blanchard area, like around the city of Blanchard? Yes, ma'am. It, it's Blanchard. It's okay. Now. Then what I would suggest you do, because you've gotten a hold of Grady County Sheriff's Office, and I would suggest that you go to the Blanchard Police Department. Okay. Okay, and give me a phone number in case I can, if I need to call you back. Okay, my number's... That's what I would suggest that you do is go to the Blanchard Police Department because they're going to be the ones that are going to be coming and investigating it. Okay. Okay? Like I said, I don't know what's going on, but okay. I'm scared to death, ma'am. Okay, well, I would suggest that you go to the Blanchard Police Department and tell them what you've told me. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. All right. This episode is proudly brought to you by Best Fiends. I've got to tell you, researching and investigating criminal cases is definitely my passion, but even I need a break sometimes. My new go-to is the refreshing mobile puzzle game, Best Fiends. You can play Best Fiends right on your phone, and it's really cool because you go through all of these different levels solving challenging puzzles that actually engage your brain. 
I love it because it's also casual, so I can pick it up and play it whenever my schedule allows, and then get right back to the action a couple of hours or a couple of days later. I've only been playing Best Fiends for a few days now, but I've already passed level 30 and have a bit of a friendly competition going on with my wife to see who can reach level 60 first. Spoiler alert, she's already beating me. I really enjoy the strategy used to beat each level, and I think my wife really enjoys the vibrant colors and the cute characters you collect along the way. The best part is the game is free to download, and you don't even need an internet connection to play. I find the game equal parts challenging, yet relaxing. It strikes the perfect mix I need in between researching dark cases for Invisible Choir. Best Fiends also updates the game monthly, so there's never a shortage of brand new levels and events, so it never gets old. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Twenty-four-year-old Justin Martin was shot and killed after forcing his way into Sarah McKinley's home as she stood in between him and her infant son, clutching the only two weapons left in her husband's firearm collection. After breaking the door open with his shoulder and forcing his way inside, McKinley fired a single shot from her 12-gauge shotgun, hitting Martin in the neck. He fell to the floor in between the couch and door and died on the scene, his gloved hand still tightly clutching a 12-inch hunting blade. His alleged accomplice, 29-year-old Dustin Stewart, the man who frantically called 911 himself who was, quote, scared as hell, showed up at the Blanchard Police Department an hour later to turn himself in. And in a rare demonstration of Oklahoma's firm Castle Doctrine laws, Dustin Stewart was charged with first-degree murder, even though he never laid a hand on a weapon stepped foot inside the home. This really is an incredible legal twist if you think about it. The young woman who pulled the trigger is legally in the clear and a young man who didn't even have a gun when this happened is now charged with murder. Uh, when the death of somebody occurs during the commission of that felony, we're allowed to file a murder charge and that's what we've done in this particular case because Mr. Stewart would be responsible for the death of uh, Justin Martin. In another strange turn of events, Dustin Stewart was released on a $50,000 bond just four days after turning himself in and being charged with murder. He was released back into the custody of his parents and ordered to stay in their home on house arrest. Right now, it's just a lot of fear still. You know, not knowing if somebody's gonna try to retaliate or, or you know, every little noise. You know, it's, you just, you don't ever know who's out there or what's out there. Well, I carry a gun on me 24 seven. Um, it's always with me, uh, and I'm ready. I mean, I'm, I'm watching and I'm waiting. I put the bottle in his mouth because he was screaming, and I didn't want to give away my position in the house because I wanted to be able to see him first. Um, and I asked 911 for permission to shoot him if he come in the house. And it took him 21 minutes to bust in my door. Um, he was going from, you know, door to door. Um, and I was standing in the bedroom doorway with a, a shotgun and a pistol in my hand. Um, and like I said, I just waited until he come in the door. When he did come in the door, 
um, he hits the door hard enough that it moves the couch a couple feet. Um, and he was actually completely inside. He pushed the door to behind him. Um, of course, the door jam was busted, so it wouldn't stay closed. But um, when I when he when I saw him come in, I saw something flash in his hand, and it was something silver. I thought it was a pistol at the time, so I told 911 I was going to shoot, and I did. And he just kind of fell over the couch. I felt like what I did was the best decision for my son and I. Um, obviously, when somebody breaks into your house with a with a deadly weapon, there's there's they're not here for anything good. Um, but I am very sorry, and it's not something that I ever wanted to do. You have to make a choice, you or him, and I chose my son over him, so. There's nothing more dangerous than a mother with her baby, but I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't for him. In the weeks and months following the attempted home invasion, more details came to light on what drove the two men to Sarah McKinley's home that New Year's Eve. Dustin Stewart would later admit to police that Justin Martin revealed to him that he believed Sarah's husband, Kenneth, had a, quote, arsenal of narcotic prescription painkillers in the home due to his terminal illness, so Martin had created a plan to break in and steal the pills. Though Stewart later claims he was just along for the ride and had no idea that Justin was planning to force his way inside the home, claiming that once he saw what was happening, he just stayed back and watched in shock. Stewart also admitted that they both took hydrocodone just 30 minutes before the attempted burglary and that they were both high at the time. But Sarah McKinley doesn't believe the painkiller story at all, revealing to police how in the days leading up to the home invasion, she, quote, felt like her home was being watched and that there were signs that someone had actually already been inside during the evening hours while she was away planning her husband's funeral. Though there were no signs of forced entry or anything missing because she had left her doors unlocked at the time. Two of her dogs had also been mysteriously found dead on the property in the days leading up to the forced entry. Sarah McKinley believed that Martin and Stewart weren't looking to steal painkillers at all, but were looking for her. Nothing was missing. If they wanted my pills, they could have got them then. I don't know what to do from here, you know? I mean, to know that I killed somebody is the hardest thing I think I've ever had to deal with. I mean, I was just an 18-year-old girl trying to make it day by day and trying to deal with being a single mom, and then this happened. Dustin Stewart's trial was scheduled for January of 2015, over three years after he and Justin Martin's home invasion went sour. But in one final shocking turn of events, the Grady County District Attorney offered him a special plea deal, which he eventually accepted allowing him to plead guilty to nothing more than conspiracy to commit burglary. Stewart received the maximum allowable sentence of 10 years in prison, but the judge immediately suspended his sentence, allowing him to walk free so long as he never violates the terms of his parole release. Despite Dustin Stewart having only ever served four days in county jail for his actions that December afternoon, Sarah McKinley eventually agreed to the deal, saying she just wanted to, quote, move on with my life. But one thing's for sure, you can bet Sarah McKinley will never be caught off guard again when it comes to protecting her home and her son.
Freaks. Thank you for listening to Invisible Choir. This episode contains sensitive material, including graphic depictions of sexual assault, which some listeners may find especially distressing or traumatic. Listener discretion is advised. We've all seen them play out in one capacity or another. Government budget cuts. Stripping away at city or county public services. The gaping hole left behind, at times, potentially deadly. But today's case exemplifies such danger and demonstrates what can happen when someone picks up the phone in a moment of sheer terror, calling out for help, only to find out that they're on their own. The emergency services many of us take for granted, perhaps living an entire lifetime without ever having to call upon, have become so stripped of public funding in some communities that citizens must resort to defending themselves when presented with clear and uncertain danger. But not everyone has the means or capacity to adequately defend themselves or their homes in rural America, and it becomes a matter of when, not if, something tragic occurs in the vacuum of police or medical support, we're left with a very difficult moral quandary. Who is ultimately responsible? when that slip of court-issued paper that is designed to protect is the only thing that stands between a potential victim and a raging madman. 911 emergency. My ex-boyfriend is trying to break into my house. I'm not letting him in, but he's like tried to break down the door and he's trying to break into one of the windows. A woman phones 911 in rural Josephine County, Oregon, just before 5 a.m. on Saturday morning, August 18, 2012, to report that her abusive ex-boyfriend is attempting to break into her home. The call is immediately transferred over to the Oregon State Police because earlier in the year, Josephine County lost a lucrative multi-million dollar federal subsidy. As a result of the budget cuts impacting timber-dependent counties, the county sheriff was forced to shut down the major crimes unit, a closure that resulted in 23 sheriff's deputies losing their jobs. Due to the extensive cuts, Josephine County deputies only patrol Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. Not a single officer is available locally this Saturday morning. Oregon State Police, this is Ray. Hi, Ray. Hi. This is Dina, Joe County 911. Uh-huh. I have a caller that is at uh-huh. and she says that someone, her boyfriend is at her door trying to break in. Okay. My, my ex-boyfriend, ex-boyfriend is in violence. She's been violent this day in the past, Michael Bella. I told him I was going to call. He's now trying to break in through the window. He's trying to jimmy it open. Okay. Um... Are you, do you have anybody else in the house with you? No, I don't. Okay, does he live there? No, he does not. Are you still there? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I don't have anybody to send out there. Okay. Uh, you know, obviously, if he comes inside the residence and assaults you, can you ask him to go away, or do you know if he's intoxicated or anything? I've, I've already asked him. I've already told him I was calling you. He's broken before, busted down my door, assaulted me. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, so... Is I, there any way I'll, you can safely leave the residence? No, I can't, because he's blocking pretty much my only way out. With a vehicle, or...? Um, with a vehicle, and with himself on my front door also. The woman discloses early on that her ex-boyfriend... 29-year-old Michael Bella had broken into her home previously and physically assaulted her once inside. She has every reason to believe he is fully intent on causing her harm again, only it is soon evident that the state patrol doesn't have anyone available to respond to her call for help either. Okay, is there anybody that you can call to come over and help you, or do you have any friends? 
Um, he has sat there and destroyed my phone that had all of my contacts in it because uh-huh. I have neighbors because he's done this. He's done this. I can't get a hold of my neighbors. I don't know what the phone numbers are. I just had to get a new phone. Okay. Well, the only thing I can do is give you some advice and call the sheriff's office tomorrow. Um, obviously, if he comes in and unfortunately has a weapon or is trying to cause you physical harm, that's a different story. I, you know, the sheriff's office doesn't work up there. I don't have anybody to send, okay. and we don't dispatch for him. Um, like I said, it's an unfortunate situation. Okay, but I'll have to take care of myself, I guess. Well, you have every right to do that. I can't tell you what to do, but um, is he still there? Yes, he is. Okay. All right. Well, um, do you want to do you want to stay on the phone with me until we figure out what he might do, or can he ask him to leave? I asked him to leave a million times. Okay, but he does not live there with you. Is that what you're saying? He does not. Okay. Has he lived there previously? No. Okay. Where is he now? He's out by my bedroom window trying to take off the tip, trying to get through that window. Does he know that you're on the phone? I don't know. I, okay. look, if I can hear him screaming and yelling, I think he can hear yeah. me on the phone. I told him I was going to. Okay. He says he doesn't care. What's he doesn't the... have any, he doesn't care because he knows that no one's out here and so. <laughs> Yeah, and like I said, it's definitely unfortunate. The State Patrol dispatcher explains that unless Bella presents a weapon or initiates a violent assault, they simply do not respond to these sorts of calls. She repeatedly refers to the experience of the woman in distress on the other end of the line as, quote, an unfortunate situation. The county sheriff's office had previously come under fire after the layoffs because they published what some considered a tone-deaf press release, encouraging anyone left residing in the county who was the victim of domestic violence to, quote, consider relocating to an area with adequate law enforcement services. Do you know if there's anybody with him? Oh, no, there's no one with him. And is the pickup truck in your driveway? It is. When did you guys break up? Um, we have broken up five billion times, and I've been, he um, put me in the hospital a few weeks ago, and I've been trying to keep him alive. Do you have a restraining order? I do not, because he, he left, would leave me alone until basically on the weekends, and then uh-huh. he starts his crap again. Okay. It seems that all the dispatcher can do is stay on the phone with the woman try to talk her through whatever is about to happen as the 29-year-old man continues trying to dismantle her bedroom window from the outside. Okay, where is he now? He's walking around the house just beating on it with I don't know what. He knows I, I have to work um, and I'm the person who opens the whole building and everything and that's why he's here blocking me in so I can't get out because he thinks eventually I'll come outside. Okay. You, you, you really need to see if you can get a restraining order against him. You have to contact the court because I will. He's already told me he won't let himself be served, and it's like there's just this big joke with him. So you haven't seen any weapons on him or anything? Uh, not tonight, no. Okay. Does he usually have weapons or? Um, not not a gun or anything. Just oh, 
he just likes to use like uh, when he hits on the stuff like tools or whatever. Uh huh. Okay. Is he still there? Do you think he's left? Yeah. No, he's still there. He's still out there screaming and yelling, cutting out. He broke into my house before I got home. Um, I came in and he had torn a bunch of stuff up and everything, but he wasn't here anymore. So I went ahead and stayed. I didn't see Okay. Well, um, like I said, it's unfortunate. I just don't have anybody else to send out there. Okay. Uh, you want to stay on the phone or what do you say? Um, no, I'm going to find a way to deal with it. Okay. Um, call 911 if he actually gets in the house. I don't know if you want to go out and confront him. It's totally up to you. It's un Like I said, it's once again, it's unfortunate that we have, you, you guys don't have any law enforcement up there. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't matter if he gets in the house, I'm done. That's what happened before. He put my, my phone to a wall, busted it to pieces. Take my house phone, busted it to pieces. Uh -huh. I couldn't call 911 before. Can, can you and Can you hide? in the house or get out the back door or go anywhere you don't have any you don't, you don't have anywhere to go no hmm. i mean it, it doesn't matter if i hide if i'm in and it'll just be more mad okay you, you do need to seek seek some kind of assistance as far as the restraining order goes we talked about that yeah um i i just don't have anybody to send out there you can call the sheriff's office later and let them know what he was he, what he's doing. I, I and I don't mind staying on the phone with you. I just don't know. Okay. I'm gonna go up to the window. He's trying to get in while you're on the phone with me. Okay. Yeah, I can tell him. Michael. The woman believes Bella intentionally came to her home just before 5 a.m. because he knows that is around the time she usually departs for work. He has clearly exhibited a pattern of control and abuse over her in the past, creating a culture of fear and intimidation around their relationship. Fearing that his entry is imminent, the woman attempts to scare him off by alerting him again that she is actively on the phone with state police. He can be heard in the background yelling, but her claims do not phase him whatsoever because he knows that no one will be responding anytime soon. I'm on the phone with um, state police. You need to go away. Michael, go away. Are you going to leave? Michael, are you going to leave? Yeah. This isn't going to do anything. He doesn't care. Yeah, I can hear him in the background. Yeah, do you hear him beating on the door? Yeah. Yeah. I think I was taking stuff out of my car. I don't care. I don't care. He's, you know what? He's already broken my house and stole my jewelry and everything. As long as he's just leaves, I don't really care what he takes. But Is, do you think he's leaving now? No, he's out tearing my car apart right now. I just opened up the trunk and he's like taking out like the sound system. But wasn't your car locked? No. Was your car locked? No, it wasn't. Nope, there, he's just pushing them out. Now he's beating the crap out of my car. Okay, well, I mean... Okay, yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll get a restraining order on Monday. It's not going to do any good, but I'll do it. Okay. At least I have something, even if it doesn't get served. 
All right, and okay. don't forget to call the, the sheriff's office and let them know so you can turn it in, and maybe they can go arrest him. I don't know, but it's going gonna, it's gonna to be tonight. He has a warrant out from, for his arrest, from my knowledge. Uh -huh. But I've been told that, that I've heard he already has a warrant. They can't. He won't allow himself to be found. All right. Well, uh, notify your sheriff's department. I will. Okay. Okay, and do you, so you have this on record, though, that yes. I did call? Okay. Yes. All right, thank you. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Okay. After one last reminder to file a restraining order against her ex-boyfriend come Monday morning, the dispatcher ends the call with the woman. And then for 121 minutes, or just over two hours, nothing. No additional calls to 911 come in for help. Nothing, that is, until 7.01 a.m. when a concerned neighbor phones police to give them an update. State police, this is Denise. Hello, Denise. My name is... There was a woman on the phone with you about three hours ago from State Junction. She hung up the phone with you while there was a predator at her home. Her husband then broke into her home as her husband beat her and raped her. I need an officer down here immediately, and I sure hope you can actually find one this time. Okay, excuse me. You're saying someone called in earlier to report a problem? Okay, um, so you're wanting an officer now for, for what reason? Because after you guys couldn't find an officer to send here, the son of a bitch broke into her home. Okay, hold on just a minute. He abused her. I need an officer sent For what? Um, because you have a victim sitting out here who is left to defend herself this morning when there wasn't an officer available to help her. Okay. Now, so what is the problem there? Um, you had a woman who can't called in about three hours ago. Okay. Complaining that her ex-husband was at her door. Okay. Um, she was told that she, there was not an officer available to her. She should probably call a friend. Well, unfortunately, you had help. Just a minute, please. Just a minute, please. Oh, yes. I see. Maybe I should speak to the supervisor. I am the supervisor. And there's no one else about you? Uh, yeah, in Salem. Oh. On Monday morning after 8 a.m. If you'll allow me to explain to you how the situation in Josephine County works. The woman needs power. Then she needs to call the Josephine County Sheriff's Department. She needs to call the Josephine County Sheriff's Department. You have the Oregon State Police. Our jurisdiction falls on state and federal highways, not in counties. So if she picks up the phone and she calls 911, or she calls the Sheriff's Department directly, she will get assistance, and unfortunately in Josephine County, because of the situation they have there, it may not be immediately. The only time the Oregon State Police responds to Josephine County Sheriff's Department calls is if there is an immediate life or death situation. Hello? It was life or death, moron. Don't. Goodbye.
after a brief exchange that resulted in the state police dispatcher hanging up, the neighbor, clearly upset, attempts reporting that the woman who had called earlier in the morning for help had been physically assaulted and raped by her ex-boyfriend after he broke into her home. A tragedy that might well have been avoided would the state patrol have considered sending an officer to assist. The later call sets into motion a series of internal phone calls between the Josephine County Sheriff's Department and state police dispatch as they attempt to figure out exactly what happened to the woman and how they can reach her now. State police, this is Denise. Hey Denise, it's Wes. Can I have Michelle? Yeah, hold on. Okay. Hello. <laughs> Hello? Yes. All right, I have a call for you. Okay. Let me see if I can make heads or tails of this. It originally came in. We, we originally got this call um, at 502. Okay. And it was a call. Um, so we have a suspect by the name of Michael Bellum, B-E-L-L-A-H. He's 29 years of age. Michael Bella. Right. Gotcha. Sorry, male white, uh -huh. 5'5", 125. And I think this is the vehicle he's in as a white Toyota Tacoma pickup. Okay. Was trying to get inside the residence and it's of his ex-girlfriend. And it says no apparent weapons, no response by OSP at this time. And then Ray put in there while I was still on the phone with RP. She advised that Bella was taking things out of her vehicle and feeding on the same. And it says that she advised she had left her car unlocked and she advised that OSP was not able to was unable to respond. She should re uh, they advised her to obtain a restraining order. This has occurred several times prior. That's all that's in the call. And it says that she says that she refuses to leave the residence and refused to hide in the residence. And the call, and Ray could hear him yelling and cussing in the background. So is he still there? Well, he was. So that was the end of round one. And she was advised to contact Joe County and make, you know, um, order protection okay, and damage to the vehicle. Let me back up. What's uh, Michael Bella's, um, this is a person that been dealing with over and over again. So what's his date of birth again? Uh, I don't have his date of birth. I can try and get that from County. Okay, what's his 511? Or is uh, 1211? Uh, 55125 WMA. Yeah. Okay. After the state police dispatcher reviews the call with Josephine County, it's clear that Michael Bella has been on their radar in the past and that he has routinely caused problems for the victim. The two law enforcement jurisdictions compare notes. Realizing that they do not have contact information for the woman who originally called police for help. During the exchange, the dispatcher reviewing the notes implies that the woman, quote, refused to hide or leave the residence, though it's clear from the call that doing so was never explicitly recommended or discussed because she was blockaded inside and was in desperate need for help as he covered her only exit. That's part one. Now we have a neighbor calling in. She is now stating that he broke into the home of her friend, assaulted, and raped the woman. Okay. Out in CJ? I believe I heard Denise mention uh, CJ. Yeah. Denise, it's in CJ, right? Hey, hang on. Hang on. Oh, she missed out. <laughs> uh, just so you know, the lady um, advised the neighbor that she was beaten and raped, so we have no idea. I, did I tell you that where she is? And it also looks like that lady's at the same address. The, friend that called it in. Yes, yes. I'm assuming but, the one that he raped and beat was probably his ex-girlfriend. Yeah, because 
the one that was yelling at Denise that yeah. we didn't come out back then. And we don't have a phone call for, or a phone number? No. I don't know if she hung up on Denise, but I can see if I can get that in county because I'm sure that they're familiar with these people. Michelle, they don't have anybody on, so... It, no, no, I mean, they're, they, sh they can check their system and get a number for you for life contacts. Uh, you're not going to be able to get a hold of anybody because they don't have any dispatch on. Yeah, but 911 does that for us. Okay, I, I've got numbers. I'll probably just go to the residence. So I'll let you know what we're going to do. I'm talking to Tanya right now. We're gonna okay. Plan. Thank you. Right, bye. According to eventual police reports, Michael Belly used a large piece of metal to pry his way into the woman's home. Once inside, he physically assaulted her, violently choking her before he raped the woman. He then fled the scene. As responding divisions continued comparing notes, they realized that Michael Bella did in fact have an active warrant out for his arrest from a prior probation violation, and that he was considered armed and dangerous. And Michael Bella, so you know, I have PC to arrest him already. I've been looking for him for two weeks. He's got a probation violation. Copy, yes, 737. Okay, I'm guessing I don't need any more because I trooper. Oh, I got some caution on that guy. Okay. He's, uh, he carries a 40 caliber pistol, stated for his protection, and he carries a scanner. Ah. Okay. All right. All right, thanks. All right, no problem. Bye. Hey, Tanya. Hey. Uh, Connie says he has a scanner. That's why I didn't want to give you that. He carries a 40 caliber pistol. I know all this. Okay, well... You guys were asking on the radio. I didn't know you knew that. I don't care if he has a scanner. He knows I'm hunting for him, so I know, but I'm not worried about it. Everybody out here has a scanner. <laughs> I know. It's like that, you know, if he knows you're looking, you're not going to have the surprise element on him. You know. I'm not going to have the surprise element. I've been leaving my business card at his house for the last three weeks, so ah. he knows I'm hunting for him. Okay. Shortly before 8 o'clock in the morning, as a state patrol officer prepares to begin his 8 o'clock shift, he calls into dispatch to report for duty and check on the events from the evening before. The following call reveals just how disconnected the people working behind the scenes sometimes become from the actual terror on the other end of the phone line when someone calls 911 for help. To some, public backlash from how a call is handled quickly becomes part of the casual banter between colleagues as they find humorous ways to cope with an extremely difficult and high-stakes profession. State Police, this is Denise. Hey, Denise, it's Marty. Hello. How are you doing? Okay, how are you? Good, good. Nobody pulling their hair out yet there? In well, a little bit, yeah. I was, I was afraid to answer the phone, but it's okay. It's just you. <laughs> okay. It's not somebody in Cave Junction. Uh, uh, has there already been something going on in Cave Junction? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. So, you're coming on? I'll be on 8 to 6. Okay. I will get you in there. All right. Is there something in Cape Junction I need to respond to right now, or is it over and done? Um, well, yeah, it happened earlier, and supposedly uh, some guy broke in and beat and raped his ex-girlfriend or whatever, and then a neighbor called in screaming at us because we didn't respond earlier, and it's probably going to get ugly. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. All right. But they're What's calling the out. Responding? Yeah, um, uh, Tanya's down there now, and West is down there, and they're calling out criminal. And <laughs> okay. So. All righty. All right, we'll have fun. We'll do. <laughs> All right, bye. Bye.
46 minutes after the state police's Saturday morning 8 o'clock shift reported for duty, Michael Bella was captured without incident. He would later plead guilty to kidnapping, sexual abuse, and assault. In May of the following year, in direct response to the tragedy that unfolded in Josephine County, while the sheriff's department was critically understaffed and underfunded, the county proposed a 59-cent public safety property tax levy, a move that would have generated the nearly $9 million needed over the course of the following three years to hire additional deputies to support the safety of the county's 80,000 residents, 24 hours per day, seven days per week. After a stunning upset, Josephine County residents voted against the public safety levy, many of them claiming they, quote, never trusted police here anyways, while leaving the county firmly entrenched in an ongoing budget crisis. Concerned residents of the state's lowest taxed county were encouraged by the sheriff to either move away or arm and defend themselves in the wake of the ongoing law enforcement shortages. Over the past eight years, things have markedly improved in Josephine County. The sheriff's department eventually moved from patrolling only eight hours per day, Monday through Friday, to conducting patrols 12 hours per day, seven days per week. Then in 2019, the department secured additional funding to expand public safety services for its residents, as they prepared to move from the 12-hour daily shift model to 20 hours of daily coverage. The sheriff took to social media with the help of a professional marketing firm to help hire in a new battery of recruits to restore the county to order, all in a bid to ensure that staff shortages would never lead to preventable tragedies ever again. Hello, I am Sheriff Dave Daniel of the Josephine County Sheriff's Office in Oregon. In 2012, lack of funding decimated our Sheriff's Office and threw Josephine County into a tailspin. The office was forced to reduce down to only a skeleton crew of deputies. They were demoralized and our citizens received little or no service, which created lack of trust and frustration for all. Recognize this, the deputies that remained, who took an oath to serve the public, never gave up and today we are much stronger, providing a better and more professional public safety service, incarcerating more criminals than ever, and responding to more calls for service than ever. My message to you is we will not stop until we have a 24-hour patrol service, a full detectives division, a canine division, and a full jail. Our promise to our citizens and those who visit is no matter what, we will protect with courage and serve with compassion. I want to give you an inside look into the Josephine County Sheriff's Office, and I am here to tell you we are back with passion and determination, and we are not ever going away again. Thank you for allowing us to do what it is we do. And if you have the courage, compassion, and character to join this growing team, start by applying online today. Mm -hmm.